Welcome to the Sustainable Goat Podcast. My name is Steve Cassingham, and I interview the greatest of all time in the sustainability space. Today, we're talking with Tyler Fox. He's not only a pro surfer, but he's an ocean advocate, researcher, and all around just great guy. We talk about everything from the beginning of his surfing career, surfing the biggest waves in the world, to how to preserve our oceans in a truly sustainable way. I'm super excited to share this one with you because I grew up next to the beach and there's something just special about the ocean. And I think Tyler brings just such an incredible perspective to it and he's got an incredible story. So let's dive right in. Hey Tyler, how you doing? Hey Steve, doing great buddy. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for being on the podcast. You got it. So I figured let's just start out. I, I want to hear more about you know who you are, who Tyler Fox is and kind of how we, let's start with just honestly, when was the first time you, you hopped on a surfboard? Um, yeah, God. So the, the ocean has kind of been, um, been in my blood for quite a while. My, my dad got me on a boogie board in Hawaii at about three years old. Um, and, uh, just rode a few waves with me on the front of the board. Um, spent a lot of time just at the beach um, so I was introduced to the ocean at a very young age. And I think, um, ever since, you know, I, I caught those first waves with my dad, I, I was just totally hooked and wanted to go back at, uh, any opportunity I, I, I had to get back in the water. What was it about surfing that kind of got you? Was it, was it the joy of riding the wave? Was it being out in the ocean nature? I mean, what was it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the actual act of surfing standing up on a board was more of a an afterthought um the the real catch for for me personally was was just the the power of the ocean itself right it's um it's such a vast thing it's got so much energy it's got wildlife it's got so much power and uh and healing properties and i was just really drawn to that aspect you know and then as i got older you know i i got you know, around 10, eight, 10 years old, I was on a boogie board all the time, you know, just kicking around and in the shore break. And then I eventually moved up to a surfboard at around 12 and into my early teen years. And, um, and then the real passion for, for surfing took off. But um, initially, it was really the, just the draw to the ocean. That's super cool. And and you went on to, I mean, you still are a professional surfer. How did, what was that process like? I mean, what was going from, Hey, I just really enjoy surfing to, Hey, I'm going to be a professional. What was that like? Yeah. So I, I think it's, it was a, a slowish process. You know, a lot of times people will look at professional athletes or even, even businesses that have become successful. And, and in their eyes, it looks as though the business it just became successful like overnight, right? Um, they hadn't heard of it, but there's a lot of groundwork, a lot of, you know, behind the, behind the scenes work and, and dedication that goes in. So for, for me with surfing, it was, you know, a slow progression. I was 12 years old. I was starting to compete in amateur competitions and then just kept trying to get better at these amateur competitions and, travel up and down um, the state of California a little bit, competing. And, you know, I had the goal of maybe just making a final, you know, getting into the final and then 
once I made the final, then, you, you know, your goals elevate. And, and then it was, um, I want to be the, the top spot on the podium, you know? And so I, th- I think it really is these just small little accomplishments on, on a, on a journey. And then next thing you know, you know, after 10 years, you, you are at a, on the top of the kind of the world stage and you're competing at, for me, you know, the, the top of the, um, the pinnacle of, of my goals was to compete at Mavericks. And, um, and yeah, it took me, took me, uh, I think I was on the, the waiting list, the alternate list for like seven years. So what was that like the, the first time they were like, Hey, you can, you can enter this competition. You can surf Mavericks. I mean, cause big wave surfing is obviously a lot different than, you know, just hitting Huntington beach and surfing in those competitions. What's that preparation that you have to have? And, and honestly, that appreciation for the ocean, I think changes a lot when you're doing big wave stuff. Yeah. Um, so um, you know, after putting in my time and um, really dedicating myself to to Mavericks, um, I finally saw my name on on the twenty four invitees from from around the world, and it was just it was such a accomplishment there, such a dream come true, and I was just thrilled to you know be in the competition. Spent countless hours training for surfing those waves i spent dozens upon dozens of sessions outside of the competition getting familiar with the break so once you find yourself in the competition you're already familiar you know you're already familiar with that spot um and the power of the wave and the veracity and 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 you kind of are are physically and mentally prepared for it and and when we first met, you were you were starting Santa Cruz Waves magazine. So I would love to hear kind of how that started, and and what was that catalyst on you know Hey, I'm I've been surfing you know my whole life. I've been competing, but I want to dip more into the business world. Um, what was that like? Yeah. So um, I I got I, I launched Santa Cruz Waves as a website back in 2010, and um, so growing up here in the Santa Cruz area. I've always felt that it's a very unique town in the fact that it produces more creative artists, um, probably more world-class athletes in all different fields than almost any town I've, I've ever heard of. I mean, we've got professional rock climbers and world-class sailors and surfers and mountain bikers. It's, it's skateboarders. It's just, it's just phenomenal how much talent comes out of this town. And I didn't think that there was any real platform showcasing this talent and, and bringing some of these stories to light. And what was that process like, um, you know, coming from the sports world and then, you know, suddenly, I mean, was it kind of an organic process? Uh, walk me through like those early days of Santa Cruz waves. And Well, it, it was definitely a sacrifice because I, I invested in a camera and I was, comp- you know, an active kind of professional surfer at the time. And I found myself going out and shooting photos of just average, average surfers, everyday surfers um, with a really nice lens and kind of going up to these people that are coming in from the water and saying, Hey, you know, here's a, here's a little card, go check out your photo on this website, santacruzwaves.com. And um, you can purchase the photos. Um, And the idea there was to really 
just build uh, the traffic to the site. I think that's always the tricky part is how, how are you going to get people to a website? What's the, what's the catch? And um, the catch for this was, was the curiosity. You know, how did I look on that wave? You know, I've, I've never seen myself surfing before in my life. And I've been, I've been out there, you know, for, for 50 years. So um, sure enough, we started gaining more of a, more and more of a consistent following and, um, you know, and then it was 200, 300, you know, 500 viewers per day, just always logging in to see, um, see their photos, see where this, where the, um, kind of the hot spot was. And, um, and then we started adding more content from there, adding, um, what are the best happy hour reviews in town? Um, maybe a local legend profile or, um, some other unique stories. So. And then really it just built a community. And after about five years of the website gaining more and more popularity, it was finally like, okay, what's the next evolution of this? And, um, and then we, we, we moved into a print magazine. So that's super cool. And, and I remember when that, that first came out and honestly, like hands down, probably one of the best design magazines I've ever seen. Definitely you guys became kind of that center for, you know, what's going on in the community, what's going on with, you know, the ocean and stuff like that. You've obviously been a huge part of being in the ocean community, surfer, publisher, photographer, all that kind of stuff. What was that shift on, you know, how did you see really the ocean changing during that time? Because you've been in the ocean probably almost every day for, you know, the past 25 years, 30 years. So, how have you seen the ocean changing more importantly? When it comes to conservation and protecting things, it's, it's important that people experience them and, and, and find a passion um, with these areas. And for me, you know, ever since I was three years old, I've just, I've absolutely loved the ocean and, and all aspects of it. And when you really love something, you want to protect it. Right. So, that kind of deep love affair has has kind of turned me into an environmentalist and and made and an ocean advocate, and it's really a lot of the stories in our magazine and a lot of things we cover are issues that that bring light to the importance of protecting our oceans and some of the threats that it's facing, um, whether it's plastic pollution or cruise ships or a whole slew of different things and. Um, and so that really having that passion and having that love affair is, is, has given me this really focused purpose of, of protection, protect, protecting that playground that, um, that I enjoy so much. Yeah. And, and cruise ships have been a huge uh, topic of conversations. I mean, as of late um, in a special in, in towns such as, you know, Monterey, Santa Cruz, pretty much anywhere that, that gets cruise ships. Um, I'd love to just kind of hear more of, you know, what is, what's that all about? Um, for those that have no idea, they, they have maybe gone on cruise ships and are like, I love them. We go to this wonderful place and it's beautiful. We park right in front of the town and then we get to take all these boats into town. Like, I want to hear from you kind of what's, what's the adverse side of that? You know, what's the side that people aren't talking about or seeing or even realizing is happening to the ocean? Yeah. So, so first off, I, I don't blame people for um, getting on a ship and wanting to travel and wanting to go um, 
experience beautiful locations. A, a lot of people just are unaware. They're, they're oblivious to the fact that these ships are so harmful to the, to the ocean um, and to marine life. Um, you know, the amount of particulate matter um, coming out of the, these huge exhaust uh, pipes on these ships is, is, compare, is, is said to be at, uh, the same as like a million idling cars per day. You know, so they're, they're really moving, they're floating cities, basically. And when you have all those people, those thousands and thousands of people on one ship and no, you know, and, and, and all the excess uh, garbage, right? Plastic pollution, garbage and, and um, human waste and all these things, it just, it creates a very challenging time for them to do it sustainably and, and in a way that is not harmful to the environment. So, you know, I've looked at a lot of articles. I've talked to people in different ports from Alaska to, to Venice, Italy, to, to Maine. And um, these, they're, they're just floating amusement parks that are really destructive. And, and it's been kind of a, a goal of mine to try and limit the amount or even stop them from coming into the Monterey Bay here because the Monterey Bay is truly one of the, you know, seven wonders of the natural world. It's, it's got so much diversity of marine life from whales to dolphins, seals, you could just go on and on. And then you've got these multiple ships barreling into this little bay where whales feed, um, you know, huge schools of fish. And then you've got all these little tinder boats that are shuttling people on and off all day long to go buy, you know, $5 little trinkets from the souvenir shops, you know, and they're not even really, I, you know, I wouldn't say they're really supporting the local economy either. Maybe a few people, but the amount of positives doesn't even hold a, a candle to the amount of negatives. And so how's that, how's that effort been? What have, what have you kind of done to, to help, you know, in that fight? So there's some petitions out there now, um, uh, Stand Earth and s some other organizations have formed petitions basically where people can sign and, and demand that the cruise ship in industry cleans up their act. They have been fined, these, these Carnival Corporation, they've been fined countless times, millions and millions of dollars. And what happens is, is that even though a fine may be $10 million or $20 million, these companies are making billions and billions of dollars. So it's really just a drop in the bucket when it comes to their overall profit margin. So they're, it's almost like just the cost of doing business because they continue to do it. They continue to dump plastic waste and, and get caught, you know, dumping uh, gray water or oily waste or what, whatever it may be. So how can people really educate themselves on this this side of things? I mean, if you if you just visit the ocean, you're not you know on social media where you're looking at some of these um, you know accounts that do cover how much you know plastics are washing up on shore and that kind of stuff. How can people kind of learn more about it if they have no idea what they're doing? Yeah, um, I think uh, the nonprofit here, local um, nonprofit Save Our Shores, does a really good job of education. Um, they've got virtual tours, they've got videos, 
they've got things that you can sign up to do a beach cleanup and you go down and actually go to some of these really neat beaches and help clean up trash. The O'Neill Sea Odyssey is another one here in Santa Cruz where they take out school kids for actually a sailing trip on a big catamaran and they learn all about, you know, the ecosystems out there. But yeah, I mean, if you're not from the area, just come, come and hang out, come to the beach, go paddle boarding, get in the ocean and, and just do it respectfully. Um, like it was your home. And I think that's the best way to really learn about it is to immerse yourself in it. And, and what are your, your thoughts around, you know, ocean sustainability? I, I think a lot of people just go, Oh, well, I'm, I'm an inland state or, you know, I kind of visit the ocean, but it's not a huge thing, but the ocean covers, I mean, 70% of our earth. Like it's a, it's a huge, massively, not only uncharted area. I mean, we've only explored a tiny, tiny percent of, of our ocean. And there's so much biodiversity and animals and plants and stuff that, that really help our earth. How important is it that we, you know, really take care of our ocean uh, more so depending on whether you're even coastal or not? What's, what's the importance of doing that? So ecologically speaking, just like the rainforest, how it sucks in um, carbon dioxide out of the air and, and basically filters it and produces fresh oxygen. These are the filters. These are the earth's, the earth's lungs. And just like the, the forests on land, um, the, the, the kelp forests in the ocean do the exact same thing. The ocean also provides just so much life that we need. I mean, fish, so much food for countless communities around the world that um, if we didn't have seafood and, and fish and um, many people would, would go hungry. Um, a lot of people really rely on, on surviving off the ocean. So, I mean, it just gives us so much and it just makes sense that we should do everything we can to protect it. You know, these fish uh, are ingesting small, small little microplastics out of the ocean, which is eventually get, getting into their system, getting into the meat, which you eventually eat. And, and these, are, these are toxins. So when you, if you think about, you know, the, the litter, the pollution, plastic pollution, eventually that's going to come right back into you and be a toxic within your body, which is kind of crazy to think about. Right. So when you, so every time as kind of grandiose, this thought is, but every time you even purchase, right, a plastic water bottle, many people have the, you know, think, Oh, well I recycle, you know, but have you gone, have you really researched and, and looked into that complete process of how much actually gets recycled, which is actually, I think only about 7% of all plastics produced seven or 9% ever, ever really truly gets recycled. The rest of it ends up in a landfill, ends up in the ocean, ends up getting burned, which um, goes directly into our atmosphere, cutting down the ozone. So it's, it's as small as your every single person's purchasing decision on a daily basis should be thinking, where is the, the very end cycle of this product? And that's ultimately where I think we as a human race need to start thinking more is more full circle like that. Yeah. And, and so what are your thoughts around that? Cause I mean, um, 
you know, when it comes to microplastics, it's something that's starting to pop into the news a little bit more um, in, in terms of just people now actually know that microplastics exist, but they've existed for a long time. So what's that, um, what are, I guess, some steps that somebody can take outside of just purchasing power? Um, you know, you could come, like, for example, I, I have an ocean bottle, which is literally just recycled plastic and they, it, everything is about conserving the ocean. But every new water bottle that comes out, you know, you could buy it, but then you're buying more materials which yes may last you a while but you know what's that kind of purchasing process look like as a consumer how can you slowly live your life a little bit more sustainably in a way that you know can not only benefit the ocean but also just like the rest of the earth all microplastics are are just regular plastic trash that's just been broken down over time and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and pretty soon it turns into could be as you know small as a grain of sand you know, so um, that's the scary part is that plastics really, unless they're burned, they don't really, or made into something new, they don't decompose into the earth at all. They just get smaller and smaller and smaller. And, um, and that's why, like, I think just staying away from plastics in general and using other materials that aren't going to poison our fish and, and poison our bodies. So yeah. And, and I'm not, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I have plastic things, you know, I think we all do, but it's really just trying to limit how many you purchase. Or if you do purchase one, um, like your water container there, you just use it, have it for five years, have it for, you know, a long time. So you're not out there continuing to purchase the, these things. Um, and then buy things to, to last. I think that's something that we don't do as consumers enough is think about buying, purchasing things that last a long time, right? Because everything's so throw, throw away now, you know, you buy this and you buy that and you, you throw it away. We, you know, the, ever since the inception of plastics, Tupperware, and it was, it was marketed back in the, I think fifties or right. I think the fifties, but um, it was like, look at how great this stuff is. It's throwaway, you know, in the kitchen, you put it, put it in this and then you use it and you throw it away. How convenient, you know, we don't want you doing dishes for a long time. So I think that convenience is kind of shot us in the foot a bit. There's a really cool shop here in Santa Cruz called um, Ethos. It's in Capitola village and the owners, um, super nice family, from from the area and they've got products they supply products that are all really eco-friendly made out of like bamboo toothbrush we get our instead of toothpaste in a plastic tube we now get these little toothpaste tabs that we put in a little glass jar and you just put a few tabs in your mouth you chew them up add a little water and it turns into a paste just like regular toothpaste so i think there is really a um a new sort of energy, this exciting new energy around sustainability. And, you know, you can look up some of these stores and things, but they have everything from, yeah, toothpaste to, to toothbrushes, to, to combs, to brushes, to backpacks made out of um, recycled uh, bike tires to, um, you know, there's, there's products out there. We just need to, um, get a little creative or, or do a little searching. So, yeah. Yeah. I think material science is going to be kind of that new frontier. 
when it comes to um, sustainability. And I, th- I don't think a lot of people are focused on that. They, they think, oh, well, let's recycle better. But, you know, the ability to recycle is even harder. So how do we take things and turn them into something new? When it comes to sustainability, a lot of people think they have to make these, you know, big changes. And so kind of what's your thought on like, what would be the future of sustainability? If, if you were like, hey, here's how I think, you know, people could, could really make a huge impact in their own lives by not making, you know, massive sweeping changes. What would that kind of look like from your end? I think, I think it would be where everyone is a little more self-sufficient. I think it's every family in America should have a little backyard garden. That's just a start, knowing what it's like to grow your own tomatoes and grow your own uh, vegetables. Um, I think everyone should go out if, they're, if they love fish, go out and, and catch a fish and kill the fish and gut the fish and, and, and eat it, go through that process. Um, if they like a cat, if they like to eat meat, you know, or, or eggs or chicken, go to a farm, see, see how this works. And cause I think we're just so out of touch with our food and our food's hugely important to, to our sustainability as a whole. So you're obviously not going to stop surfing for the rest of your life. What's kind of your hope in, in the long term of, you know, how can the ocean either change or get better or, you know, what's, what's kind of your hope for ocean sustainability specifically, like whether it's cruise ships or microplastics in the ocean or temperatures, you know, whatever that is, what's kind of your hope for the future? You know, humans are meant to, to evolve and, 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 and we, we thrive off of progress. So I just hope that our progress goes in a direction of, what are some of these new technologies that we can invent that are green, that are renewable, um, more wind, more solar? Um, there's plenty of energy out there. It's just where do we collect that energy from? Are we collecting it from underneath the ground in, turn, in, in like oil? Or are we collecting it from the sun, which is never going to run out, which is endless supply of energy there, or the wind, which is blowing every day so how are we collecting our energy and um really using our creative genius to to focus on yeah technologies that are are sustainable and that are not going to um just totally suck the earth dry of our of our natural resources um do you remember your first uh sustainable product that you purchased that was either sustainably made or would support you know, living a more sustainable life. Yeah. I mean, it might've been just a, uh, clean canteen water bottle, you know, made out of aluminum. And I think that's probably the first real product that I was like, you know what, I'm not going to buy any more plastic water bottles. Um, and, and I've used that for years and years. And I think they're, and they've, they've evolved now to be awesome products that you can store, hot teas in or keep drinks cold. And I got, it would be amazing if every, every person in America had their own clean canteen, we would cut down on plastic pollution immensely. What do you think the biggest hurdles are in, in this sustainability journey? What do you think are just like those big hurdles that that we're going to have to get over as a society? I think it's a, a shift in convenience. I think people, it's just the ease of use. You know, you're thirsty, you go into a 
gas start gas station mini mart and there's water or sodas or in plastic containers and um, I think it's requesting or just going a little outside of your your way or your routine to to make a more responsible choice um, because consumers have more power than they may think you know and and if no one is buying plastic water bottles or, or a lot less people are going to do that then these big companies are going to be like I, I might start making ours our water in uh, cans or which some companies are starting to do now or you know what we're going to do a trade-in program like I think it's called loop or something where you can get your ice cream or get your milk and then you just just like in the old days you put the containers out on your doorstep and they pick it up and and take it back and you get a new one next week so I think it's just changing some habits, changing our habits. We're, we're really creatures of, of habit and we like our routine, but um, if we're going to really want to change and, and, and do better by the planet, we're going to need to uh, change up our habits a bit. Yeah. What are, so this is more of actually like a surfing specific question. What are some advancements in, in surfboard technology that that is kind of happening i mean are there ways to kind of build boards out of recycled materials or anything like that i was just kind of curious on that side so a company called sustainable surf come up with this program where they have little levels of certification um whether it's a gold level or a silver level and it really means like how are these shapers producing these surfboards so you've got recycled foam blanks now um, they're using entropy resin, which is actually a plant-based resin, it makes the boards more sustainable. There's, there's the fins that are made, maybe made out of bamboo. Um, so yeah, surfing is, is catching on a bit. There is more sustainable ways. Um, there's boards that are made out of, uh, agave or, um, um, you know, constructed in, in a different manner. Um, even wetsuits, some suits uh, are made from, what's it, um, limestone or, um, I know Patagonia was trying to do something with a suit made out of uh, mushrooms or things. So it, it, mm. there's, there's so many amazing new products and um, materials out there that I think it's just a matter of time before we are creating yeah. things that are totally, you know, surfboards that can break down and you can throw into your garden afterwards. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think I think from just like a material perspective, it's it's fascinating to think cuz most people mushrooms one I'm glad you mentioned that cuz mushrooms are I'm, they're the number one product being purchased right now in in grocery stores for for one just because people go if I have this because of the whole chaga mushroom coffee and all that kind of stuff, I will you know, it's a good nootropic and I can get, you know, all the brain power I need from it, but it's starting to make its way into building materials because they're realizing how versatile it is and how easy it is to grow and how sustainably you can actually make things out of it. And more so, I was, I was just wondering if you've ever surfed any of those boards and if, because I think a lot of people think like, if I'm going to make a sustainable decision, I'm going to have to make a sacrifice in terms of quality. You know, is it, it's, it's not going to be as good for me in performance as if I use something that was, you know, made out of this top of the line plastic or whatever that is. And so how can people learn more about 
um, you know, what you're working on, what you're doing, um, feel free to give like a shout out to Santa Cruz Ways, whatever brands you want. Um, how can people get more connected with you, learn more um, and really engage with some of your stuff? Yeah. So, so my personal Instagram is uh, Zorro underscore Dell underscore Mar means basically trying to be clever here. Uh, basically means Fox of the sea. Um, and then our Santa Cruz waves Instagram account is just Santa Cruz waves. And um, you can subscribe to our magazine by um, going, going there to Santa Cruz waves.com. Um, yeah. And then that's kind of where I've post a lot of the happenings of environmental advocacy. Um, and Santa Cruz waves has always got fun things going on. So awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for just being a part of this and, and sharing your passion for the ocean and, and just bringing such a, such a fresh perspective to it. Cause I think, you know, a lot of people will talk about ocean sustainability and, and ways that they can make a difference, but you know, they're not in the ocean every day. They're not, you know, spear fishing. They're not cleaning up plastics as, as they're surfing or just out there. I mean, I think I just wanted to thank you for taking the time, but also just being honestly a huge advocate for this. You got it. Thank you so much to Tyler for joining me on this episode of Sustainable Goat. There are links to Santa Cruz Waves and his Instagram in the show notes. Uh, Feel free to check those out. And thank you, thank you, thank you for all the support on this podcast. Um, It means the world. And, you know, the more it's shared, the more people are aware that our earth is just this really cool place. And it it is a playground that we can protect and all live and be a part of. So share this with the people around you. And thank you again. And until the next episode, thanks for listening to Sustainable Goat.